Australian Institute of International Affairs, Victoria. This is the final episode of Season 3 of the Dyson House Podcast, a series that investigates and demystifies real issues in international affairs. Once a year, there's a summit, and in that room sit representatives of countries that make up around 85% of the world's wealth, 80% of world trade, and approximately half of the world land area. It includes the world's largest trading bloc and sees a turnout from heads of state, finance ministers, and foreign ministers. This is, of course, the G20 summit, the successor to the G8 and perhaps the most significant international forum today for global trade. The sheer scale of influence and the ability to set a global agenda for the future of trade and economic governance is unprecedented. So within this framework, we can expect a responsibility to represent the underrepresented and disenfranchised. And that's where the W20 comes in. An official engagement group that focuses on policy recommendations related to women for the G20, the W20 has been growing in scope and stature since the 2014 summit in Brisbane. And it's well known that there is a strong link between economic empowerment and women's equality and social advancement, so this summit is an important step in tackling these issues head on. Today I was lucky enough to sit down with Zara Kimpton, the National Vice President of the Australian Institute of International Affairs, and a recipient of the Medal of the Order of Australia for her services to international relations. And we talked about her role as the head of the Australian delegation to the W20 over the past few years, and the role these summits play in empowering women economically. Zara, thank you so much for coming in today. I really appreciate you taking the time out for this. No, I'm, I'm glad to be here. Thank you. Oh, thank you. Well, look, I'd just like to start today with a bit about your background and how you came to find yourself involved with the AIIA as National Vice President. Did this interest in national affairs, where did this stem from? Well, um, I think that I've had an, a very long-term interest. Um, it, it really started in school. Um, my favourite subjects were history and geography, which I'm I guess meant looking at the world. Um, and then I went to university and um, I majored in political science, um, which included international relations. Uh, then I later worked um, in stockbroking and and then in Sydney for a, um, an international mining company called Consolidated Goldfields. And that had mining operations all around the world. So I was, that, that opened my eyes, particularly to Africa. Um, I'd also spent a year in um, Switzerland and France between school and university um, on a gap year, so I learned French, and that, I guess, um, started an interest in Europe. Um, and really, I'm a current affairs junkie, and um, I read three papers, three newspapers every morning. I read The Economist, and I am most happy when I'm um, um, learning about what's going on in the world. Fantastic. And also, of course, I read Australian Outlook, which is our international AIA's uh, weekly blog. And you're a contributor to that one as well. I do. Yeah. I do. Well, I'm yes, I'm one of the commissioning editors, and I I think it's a fantastic um, thing, and it's gone from strength to strength since we started it about three or four years ago. And we we now we you know people are uh, are um, sending in uh, we, we we're having it, finding it much easier to find contributors because it's it's become an important source of um, of news yeah, it's built a self-sustaining reputation as a reputable source absolutely yes uh, and how did you find yourself involved with the AIIA well again that's that's uh, um it's when I was at university and um 
did my international international relations course, I actually never heard of the AIA, mm. which is very sad because I wished I'd known about it for much longer. But back in 1996, I wanted to go to Vietnam and I didn't know who led tours. And a friend of mine who was the wife of the Dutch Consul General in Melbourne, mm. um, and they were members here in, in Melbourne, they... Um, she said, oh, the um, AAA Victoria is taking a study tour to Vietnam. So I rang and joined. And actually, they didn't do a study tour, no, but, no. I, but I went to Vietnam anyway with a, with a group led by Dorothy Button. Yeah. And so um, that was the start of, of, of a wonderful, um, uh, how do I say, wonderful... Uh, almost career for me um, at the AAA. Um, it certainly has become my great passion. Um, and I think it's, it's a unique organisation. Um, I think it does so much good. It's the only organisation in Australia that's membership-based that has branches in all the, um, all the states and, and uh, in Canberra. And we've got about 1,300 members now around, around the country. Um, we certainly... Uh, survive on very limited resources. Um, but I think, uh, you know, the world now is so complex that we fulfil such an important role. And our members are made up from people of all walks of life. There are students, there are business people, there are just all sorts of people who want to know what's going on in the world. Mm. And I think our meetings are... Um, to me, the, the thing that really stands out to me is not just the presentations made by speakers, mm. but it's the Q&A sessions. And I think our members, um, most times you'll be here and you'll, there'll be questions. Of, they're very probing and they, <laughs> somebody will ask every, everything that sort of needs to be asked is usually asked by our members. Right. And I think the speakers realise that, that we are, uh, um, that our members are, are genuinely interested. They, they don't just go to be seen or network. They go because they really, they really want to know what's, what goes on in the world. I think the other thing that we do that's important is um, take study tours around the world and public diplomacy is, is so important. Yes. People to people contacts. And I think that there's something very special about the fact that it is a not-for-profit and independent organisation in a role that deals with international affairs. Uh, how, how would you describe the role of being a not-for-profit in this area and its importance to the broader understanding of international affairs in Australia? Well, I think the thing is, yes, we are apolitical. Um, we, we hear all views, but we don't have an institute view. Um, I'm... We get, we do get um, a uh, some funding from the Department of Foreign Affairs and Trade, yeah. but it's um, part of that's tied to our national conference, which we have every every year in Canberra. Yeah. But we we aren't answerable to anybody. Um, nobody is influencing us, which means that we are completely independent. And I'm not trying to say that other organisations are are, are not, mm -hmm. but but yes. I know that that. Um, with us, you know, we, we have a reputation for impartiality, um, which, which, is, which is very important. It's very important and I feel like it's a very uh, special quality to have as an institute as well because it's not always easy to come by as an institution. Uh, you've been part of the Australian delegation at the W20 summits 
as a representative of the AIIA for the past few years. Yep. I was wondering if you could talk through what the W20 is and its relationship to the G20 as well. Yeah, well, maybe I should start with the with the G20. Um, the G20 was actually founded in 1999 um, and was um, initially uh, a meeting of finance ministers um, from the 19 largest economies uh, plus the EU, which mm. is the 20th. Um, the annual leaders' summits, which are the ones that, that are best known now, mm. um, started in 2008. Um, and for the first few years, they were actually held twice a year. Now they're, they're back to once a year. Um, as this has progressed, um, there have has been the formation of various engagement groups, uh, which are independent to government. Um, and the W20, Women's G20, is one of them, along with B20, Business, um, C20, Civil Society, L20, Labor, S20, Science, T20, Think Tanks, and Y20, Youth, uh, for Youth. Um, now, the W20, I don't know much about when the others were formed, but the W20 um, first met in 2015 in Turkey, but it was a result of the discussion at the uh, 2014 Brisbane Summit um, when there was a goal mooted um, called, it's for 25% increase in um, female participation in the workforce by the year 2025. So it's called the 25 for 25 goal. Right. And I can talk a bit more about that um, because it's become one of the main um, tenets of, of W20. Um, so I think that that's, that's really how it's, how the W20 connects with, with G20. G20. And how did you find yourself involved in, ah, in this process? How did I find, yes, well, that's interesting. Um, in 2017, very early in 2017, because the Berlin summit actually was held in April due to the um, German elections that were taking place later that year, um, our national executive director, Melissa Conley Tyler, received an invitation to be a delegate. And um, she was talking to, uh, to me and our then national president, Kim Beasley. And she said, I've, I've received this invitation, but I actually don't think I can fit it in. She had, Melissa was, had a very busy schedule. And so Kim said, well, I, what about Zara going? Um, and so I, that's, you, know, you know, that's how I came about. It was um, completely really by chance. And so my name was submitted and um, very approved. Lucky. Yeah. And... Um, Suddenly, there I was on a plane to Berlin. Well, it wasn't actually just on a plane to Berlin two, three months later because, in fact, what I hadn't realised um, is that when you become a delegate to W20, yes. it's not just the summit. Oh, really? It's, no, no, no. It's it's the um, uh, all the um, uh, pre-meeting discussions um, and there's great expectations that, mm. um, you know, if you're going to become a delegate, that you do participate in these discussions um, from the various financial, the various inclusion groups. Mm. And um, I'm not sure whether the other groups work in the same way as the women. I haven't been involved with them. Mm. Um, my suspicion is that they are probably not as intense. Right. And it might be a female thing. Um, I 
don't know, um, uh, but it is certainly. Um, I don't think the B twenty works the same way. The T twenty. Um, I know Melissa went to the, who was still executive director last year. She went to T twenty last yeah. year in Buenos Aires. Mm-hmm. Um, from what I could see, I don't think she had anything like the intense discussion. And with with Argentina last year, I mean, yeah. the meeting wasn't until. Um, October, yeah. we started the conversations in January. Right. was really, really long. This yeah. year, of course, the, it was in um, March. So the discussions were much shorter. They started in January. Yeah. But I have to say, um, Tokyo took over in December the 1st. Yeah. So all through the holiday period, wasn't a holiday for us W20 people. Absolutely not. It sounds like these are very – I mean, the nature of these discussions, though, they, despite the uh, duration and the intensity of them, they must have been quite fruitful. Well, yes, they are. Um, yes, I mean, there is some, there's some repetition, um, uh, which is natural, I suppose, because the issues are the same. But um, yes, they're, they're fruitful, but then you have to, and maybe we can talk a bit more about that, as to how you progress it all. Um, oh, yes. Yeah. Because, yes, fruitful, um, but... Uh, but I have to say, actually, at the um, um, summit mm. where there's discussion about the, the communique, uh, it, it actually was quite heated at times right. with disagreement, which, which is not, unu- not surprising. And not necessarily a bad thing either because no. it means that people are getting a very honest opinion across about how they feel about something, which is well, quite valuable. Well, you know, the communique really, what we put out, basically, I mean, you have... Um, people from different countries, they basically really have to think that their governments would agree, even though W20 is not government. But they have to basically um, believe that their governments would support mm. what they're saying yeah. because otherwise their their head of government is not going to support this when they go to the actual leaders. Yeah, that's so um, I'm, I'm sure that there are some things that not all governments would agree with, yeah. but... Um, it has to be thought that it would be something that would would, would be generally agreed. There, I suppose. Therefore, I suppose that sometimes the consensus has to be um, lower than some people would want it to be. Yes, on yeah, a, yeah, a lower yeah. level. Okay. Oh, I was just wondering if you'd be able to explain the key areas that the W twenty engages with as well. Yes. Well, I wasn't at the um, the first two, which were in Turkey or China. Yes. But. Um, the, the first one was in Germany in 2017. And um, the Germans chose uh, four areas, um, labour market inclusion, financial inclusion, digital, digital inclusion, and then strengthening the, G, the, strengthening the W20, which was more of, a, of an internal um, uh, discussion. Mm-hmm. Um, the Argentines... Um, also concentrated on those first three, the labour, the financial and the digital. But they brought in a fourth topic, um, which was the development of rural women. Um, And I was actually interested in that because um, I am a part owner of a rural property here in Victoria and have been a rural producer. So, And, of course, Argentina is also a a rural rural producer. So... um, I thought that that was a very, very interesting topic Absolutely. because um, I particularly am aware of how services in the countryside, um, I've seen it myself with um, 
with sort of um, communication uh like internet and telephone, um, you know, mobile phones don't work where, where we are in the country. Yeah. And it's much harder to run a business. So it's not only for, for, for women, it's for men and women, yeah. but, um, but, you know, for women it's, uh, it's important that they, um, they can, particularly if they're on, on farms, yeah. that they need the communication, they want to be able to work. Yeah. So... Um, that was uh, an important topic in in um, Argentina. Now the Japanese didn't continue with rural women. They, mm. um, of course, Japan um, does have rural producers, but it had different priorities, and it decided to again concentrate on those first three topics. But um, they brought in a, a topic called governance of the W20, which was really rather similar to the strengthening of the W20 that the Germans had done. Now, next year, mm. um, the um, Saudi Arabia will be the um, chair of the G20. So W20 will take place in Saudi Arabia. Um, I don't know whether they will approach this from a completely different um, uh, angle. Um, There's no pressure to sort of carry these over each time. It's more just how they how they view it from their own perspective. Well, or? I don't actually know myself having not been at the first two yeah. I think um, because the first three have been the same in the in the three years that I've done it yeah. um, it hasn't actually been a subject that I've actually even really looked into right, because right, it's just seemed to have been a continuity of those um, and but um, I, I, I just because Saudi is such a different is such a different country, and yeah. it's it, you know there are there are I would say quite large cultural differences um, between Saudi and the three countries that I've been to. Um, certainly, Saudi women face some different challenges than women do in these these last three countries and, mm. and in Australia. Yes. And um, they've only just been permitted to drive and um there's still a male a male dominated a, a male guardianship system, which means women do not have control of their own lives, many aspects of their own lives. So what will be interesting is as to um how far the Saudi women who are running this will be able to Maybe have an agenda that's quite similar, or mm. whether the Saudi government will uh, will have some influence, and I don't know. Something that remains to be seen. We're going to have to wait and see, but it will be interesting, regardless of what the outcome is, how they've approached it. I, I, yes. I just wanted to move on quickly mm-hmm. to sort of get a better understanding of the W twenty. The task undertaken by the W twenty is both extremely important, um, but also quite daunting in scope. How do we go about implementing the ideas generated at these summits in order to achieve effective action? Yes, well, uh, as, as I said already, there's, there's so much discussion before. Mm. And then finally, um, well, this final meeting, actually, even this year, there was a, um, they had a separate meeting in Paris right. um, in uh, February um, for more discussions. Um, anyway, we have the um, these these webinars and, and um, discussions via Lincando, um, which put together um, 
draft versions of the communique. Mm. And then um, actually at the meeting, uh, the summit, um, we started this year at 2 o'clock and the um, final version was only approved at midnight. Oh. And I have to say in, it was a bit complicated <laughs> because Prime Minister Abe yeah. hosted a dinner for the um, heads of delegations, mm-hmm. which I attended. Mm. So we had to leave at about quarter to six and we didn't get back till half past nine. In the meantime, our delega- delegations, I was the leader, we had two other delegates, yeah, they yeah. were meant to be working on it. <laughs> so it was a quite unusual situation in that the heads of delegations were not there. Not there to organise it. But no. the Japanese had rather miscalculated the amount of time it took to put this um, communique together. And it's gone through word by word. Mm. And there's a, this sort of heated discussion. So anyway, when the, the communique is finally agreed on, um, it's then pre- presented to the head of government. And, um, of course, that was Merkel in Germany, Macri in um, Buenos Aires, and Abe in um, Tokyo. Um Merkel, of course, took it all very seriously and actually visited three times and also said that she would visit um, other countries to promote um, the the W20 goals. Uh, This was complicated, though, because when the Germans had their election in September – you might recall that um, Merkel, they had almost six months of negotiations before she could form a government. Absolutely. So yeah. that really did make it much harder. And by the time that had finished, Germany had already um, passed over the presidency to the Argentines. But that, so that was disappointing. But she was very, very um, interested and, and engaged. Yes, yeah. engaged. Um, so basically, um, when I got back to Australia from Tokyo, for instance, and, and also from Buenos Aires, I um, sent the communique to um, uh, somebody who we call the Sherpa, the G20 Sherpa, who's right. in the who's a um, high up in the uh, Department of Prime Minister and Cabinet. Right. Um, it's David Gruen has been the Sherpa um, for several years now. I see. And um, I send it to him, and I say, "Here's the here's the um, uh, the communique." Um, and we would encourage you to um, our government to support what the um, W20 delegates have called for. Uh, and I also, of course, wrote I wrote an article. I've written about it. I've tried to speak about it. Something like this is very good, of course, for promoting it. Um, and so we're now hopeful that that we will be our goals will be. Um, accepted by G20. I had some communication this week from the um, Japanese organisers who told us that they're now concentra- concentrating on three pillars. Um, and one, that was, one of them was to secure good, implement- good implementation of the 25 by 25 goal in Labour participa- sorry, participation. Um, the second one is women, go- women's and girls' education, especially in STEM science, technology, engineering and maths. And the third one is to empower women-led owned businesses and entrepreneurship. Um, And one of the things we've always been um, um, uh, found important with the communique is to keep it short and sharp so that it gains attention. And then there is um, each year a much longer menu of actions that people can Yes. Can look at. But the German one, for instance, was only one page. 
pretty R- squashed up writing, but right. it was was one. Um, the last two have been not they've been less well the less than two yeah. pages. And the intention there is to provide a very sharp focus that can then be expanded later on. Yes, so no one gets confused. Yes, um, I just wanted. I was just interested in the progression of these summits. As we've talked about, you've participated in the 2017 summit in Berlin, the 2018 summit in Buenos Aires, the most recent summit in Tokyo. Uh, From my understanding, the Berlin summit received quite a lot of publicity um, because of Angela Merkel's engagement and also because of the presence of Ivanka Trump and things like that. I was just wondering, how has the W20 progressed and evolved over this time? Or how have you seen it progress and evolve? Yes, well... Again, that that is the important um, was the important thing about Berlin. Um, was there wasn't only Ivanka Trump, uh, but but you know the the reason it was all the publicity about that wasn't so much that she was there, was there was a question put to her about her father's attitude towards women, and I actually thought that it was rather an inappropriate question mm. in a session that was um, devoted to promoting female entrepreneurs. And uh, it was reported around the world that the delegates um, had had booed or did something like that. I was there, and I don't think there was booing. There was maybe some some um, reaction, but actually, Ivanka Trump answered the question as you would expect, and said that her father had been a, a very um, loving father, which. Mm would appear he had been. Um, but that gave the conference the, the publicity. But actually, um, that particular session that she was in um, was was an excellent session because it had Merkel, it had uh, Christine Lagarde, you know, serious, um, the, the head of the, the IMF, um, Queen Maxima of the Netherlands, um, who had worked for the UN, who is a very, very impressive individual, mm. um, who also gave a video presentation in Argentina. Um there was somebody from the Bank of America. It, it was a high-powered panel of, um, of, with a very interesting discussion. Now, um, and actually, see, there are two parts of the conference, really. There is a delegates-only element to mm-hmm. these conferences, and that's anywhere between, say, 60, 100 delegates, when you think 20 countries. Some of them yeah. might have four. Um, but it's, 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 I think in Tokyo there was only about 60. Then there's the wider conference, um, which... In Berlin, they did have to move it from where it was meant to be because when Ivanka Trump came, they had to make it a bigger room. But um, the last two, the the Buenos Aires and the Tokyo conferences, in effect have been much larger conferences for the the public part. Um, But um, Buenos Aires didn't really have that many high flyers. But it had a very interesting lot of speakers from all around the world. And um, there was a lot of young Argentine uh, businesswomen, or there appeared to be businesswomen there. And I think it had a really, um, it was really well received by the Argentine, by the, by, the Argent, by the population at large. Somebody made the comment to me there, where, where are the men? Mm. And I said, well, I think women first need to convince themselves of their uh, of the importance of um, promoting um, women's empowerment. Um, 
but I think there were probably more men in in Tokyo, mm. um, and and it's good to see it because you know this isn't just about women. It's about it's about it's about men and women in some ways, yes. um, and it's it's about. I mean, when you look at things like um, um, care, care providing, it's it's this or or, or um, flexi- work flexibility. These are yeah. all things that that affect men as well. But the the Tokyo conference, which is the most recent one I attended, was in effect very different. It was very different because. The Japanese have a an annual conference called WOW, mm. W-A-W, World Assembly for Women, and it's actually organised by the Japanese Department of Foreign Affairs. So it's government-run. Um, from my experience, none of the others have been run by government, and you know, no. W20 is yeah. meant to be separate to government. So this was the fifth WOW conference and the fifth W20 conference, but it was enormous because of this, because these Japanese people have been attending the WOW conference for previous years. It was, I suppose in some ways it made it, it enhanced it. I think it made it easier for the Japanese to organise um, that part of it. Certainly not our part, our delegates' part, because because it was so close to Buenos Aires, they actually had to, It was it was quite a quick turnaround for them and I think it was it was difficult and yeah. they did a very good job but it it wasn't easy and you have to remember all these countries are doing it in English yes of course and and of course we are very lucky in Australia that um we can write in English every person all correspondence is done in English although at the um conferences and it, um and it actually happened Angela Merkel for instance apparently can speak very good English, but she always spoke in German. And there was certainly, there is a lot of um, translation. And we had this time some um, Spanish Spanish speakers mm. um, uh, as well, because when the Argentina was Spanish speaking. So um, there is a lot of translating. But basically, the uh, communique, well, it was published in Jap- Japanese as well, but it, it is the language of the G20 is English. So, so we're we're really lucky. But anyway, how do we really promote this? Um, we this is the one thing that we we really have to um, keep promoting. One of the things that really came out of um, this latest conference is that we feel that the time has come, not just to talk, but to really start evaluating um, both us as W twenty, but also pushing governments um, to start evaluating um, um, what, how, they, how they're going with all these. You can have these goals. You can say you want more of this and that. But, um, you know, it, 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 it's the time for talking is over. Yes, yeah, so it's a different type. You have to apply the pressure now yes. to, to governments. So uh, ultimately, despite the gains made at these summits, it is up to individual countries to rise to meet the challenges involved in achieving these goals. What role is Australia playing in this? Well, um, as far as I can see, Australia takes this all very seriously. Um, we encourage our Sherpa. I think I just mentioned uh, David Gruen, who is our chef, Sherpa, uh, and his colleagues in the Prime Minister and Cabinet uh, to promote our goals um, with the Prime Minister. Um, and that when they go to the this year to the summit in, in uh, Osaka, that they will... Um, they will look favourably on on 
um, what we what the W20 communique outlines. Um, the, here in, in Australia, there is an Australian government strategy to boost women's workforce participation um, with an implementation plan, which was published in 2017. And the most exciting news, which is actually hot off the presses, um, I've just found out, is that Australia has just reached its 25 by 25 goal well before the year 2025. Um, Australia had committed to reducing the gender participation gap by 25% by 2025. This meant that the gap had to be reduced from 12.2% to 9.1%. ABS figures for April just released show that we are now down to 9%. So that's really, really good news. Um, I'm not sure how other countries are going on this, but um, that's really fantastic news. However, we can um, keep making progress. We we mustn't stop there. Uh, The more women that we can get into into, um, jobs. I think when I was first told about achieving that goal, we needed to get another 200,000 women into the workforce. Yes. That means that that must have happened. Wow. So, you know, more more, more the better. Now, um, we also have a very active Workplace Gender Equality Agency, yes. um, which publishes an annual scorecard. Um, and I think businesses over a certain amount, maybe 100 employees, have all got to fill in questionnaires each year. Um, and they're pushing for pro- for further progress on the um, reducing the gender pay gap right. because that is another really important issue. Um, we, you know, we, I know in some ways um, when we talk of the gender pay pay gap, it's not always about same same pay for same for same positions. It's mm. more about the areas that women work in, mm. like caring, nursing, these sort of things are not as well paid. Um, That's one of the issues Mm. that has to be addressed. But we certainly can't have a society where a man and a woman in a similar position Mm. are not being paid the same amount only because one is a man and one is a woman. So um, we we certainly have to um, overcome that. And I think that we are certainly trying to make progress in workforce um, flexibility um, for both men and women um, and letting people work from home um, when necessary. I know I have a a relative who's in the Defence Force um, and he is able to work from home quite often, has work hours, he can start early, leave, leave, um, leave earlier in the afternoon. So I think that there is... um, here in Australia, um, a real um, change in the attitude. Mm-hmm. And personally, I think that the fact a, a lot of women do want to work part-time. Mm. Part-time work should not be denigrated. Um, a lot of women, you know, are happy to work from 9 till 3.30 and then pick up their children. These are the sort of things. And I think that we have to realise that it is women more than men, but but all parents, they have to have a life that is that works for them, mm. and therefore um, flexibility um, is the way that uh, everybody can be happier. And the ultimate sort of goal of all of this is that we are a, 
uh, a successful and prosperous society, um, and we and we don't sort of, you know, if, if people are at work for for too long, it leads to more social issues. We we need to have balance in in our work work life, in, in work and and um, uh, and home life. So I think I'd, I'd end on that note. On such a positive note, Zara, I'd just like to say thank you so much for making the time today. I've really appreciated you coming in and having this conversation with me. Thank you very much, Clancy. It's been, I've, I've really enjoyed it. Thank you. thank you. You've been listening to the Dyson House podcast. This has been season three, brought to you by the Australian Institute of International Affairs, Victoria.